0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to American Textiles Threading the Needle, sponsored by the National Council of Textile Organizations or NCTO. I'm Christy Ellis, and I'm Vice President of Communication and host of today's program. We're launching a new podcast in response to the American textile industry's interest in shining a spotlight on the importance of domestic manufacturers, not only to help the national economy and support the national economy, but also to the workers and local communities that they help support. My co-host today is Bob Antishak, a partner with Gertsey Textile Organization. Hi, Bob. How are you today?
1: Christy, I'm doing really well. Hope you are too. And uh, thank you for asking me to join you today.
0: Absolutely. We're glad to have you. Our first episode focuses on women in manufacturing. And our guest today is Kim Glass, President and CEO of NCTO, which represents the full spectrum of the U.S. textile industry and manufacturing, from fibers to yarns, fabrics, and finished apparel. So, as companies consider how to recruit vacancies in manufacturing, many uh, are weighing how to better recruit and retain women who enter and stay in manufacturing at, at lower rates than men. Some are offering on campus childcare, while others are investing more heavily in mentoring and le- leadership programs. Such initiatives are proving crucial for companies as they consider how to keep talent. In a chronically tight labor market. We've certainly seen that over the past several months. To help us make sense of this all, with us today is a woman leader who has broken many barriers throughout her career. Kim, welcome. It's great to have you here with us, and I'm sure you're busy in Washington today. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. So without further ado, I'd also like to just uh, delve into the questions. We have a very interesting uh, discussion here. We have seen so many news stories of late, you know, focusing on women in manufacturing. And one of the most recent reports I read uh, showed that the textile industry ranked number one in terms of employment for women, about 50% of the workforce was actually women. And wanted to get your thoughts on that statistic and um, just how this industry performs overall.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this industry has a great story to tell. You know, the manufacturing sector, it's it's no shock to anybody has been examined by various entities about how, you know, what the workforce is comprised of, the age of the workforce uh, and the gender diversity within the workforce. This industry has a fantastic story to tell because of the ma- various manufacturing segments, textile and apparel employment employs the most women. When you go into our factories, uh, you're going to see that. You're going to see great diversity within the workforce, people of color in the workforce, people who have transitioned into the manufacturing sector. So I'm really proud of that statistic. We need to be doing more. We need to be showing our example to other manufacturing sectors of what they should be doing. So it's a great story to
0: tell. It is indeed. And, and, you know, I'm really happy to make a, the announcement here that you've just been named one of the 500 most influential people in Washington by Washingtonian Magazine. Tell us a bit, little about what that means to you personally and to the industry you represent.
2: Well, it's um, it's always nice to be recognized and grateful that Washingtonian Magazine included me on their list. But but to be honest, it's really about the industry. I'm really proud that the industry is being recognized as uh, being influential in Washington. You know, it's I'm so grateful to wake up every single day and be able to represent this industry, to work with the phenomenal NCTO staff and really see the work that they're doing. And I think it's a testament to the NCTO members, the textile industry and apparel industry as a whole, that they're seen as uh, key players in Washington. So this award is not about an individual. It's really about the individuals that make up this industry.
0: And Bob, you uh, have worked with Kim and uh, certainly seen the industry evolve. Can you give us a few thoughts about you know, her leadership and, and what that means for the industry?
1: Well, first, thank you, Christy. First, uh, Kim, I have to congratulate you on making <laughs> thank you Bob. I mean, it's really, it says a lot for your leadership, it says a lot for the organization. Yes, there are a lot of people involved, but uh, without you being the catalyst and a leader in the industry, I think the industry would be, uh, it'd be less less effective for the industry. So I think you'd make a big, big difference. So, you know, a question I guess that I've got is some of the challenges that you see going forward for the industry and how, we, how, how would you address those challenges, both in terms of the the industry performance itself, there's the economic issues, but then more broadly on the the topic that we're here for today, how do you see building more diversity in the workforce for the industry?
2: You know, Bob, I I think we're at an inflection point in the industry. We've just come through COVID, uh, and please know that the economic ramifications of COVID continue to have a, a deep effect on our industry. The industry's in transition, an industry which is hyper-globally competitive on often an unfair um, trading plane with the Chinese and others who are subsidizing their industry has come at a great cost to our industry and also uh, those in our hemisphere and are a lot of our allies around the world. So we're at an inflection point, And we saw after COVID, unprecedented demand. People started purchasing more consumer products. And then we've seen that demand fall as inflation has hit pocketbooks and as gas prices uh, continue to rise. At the same time, to be competitive in the United States, you have to be one of the most innovative industries in the world. And so watching our industry over the past few decades invest substantially in innovation, in automation, in sustainability, creating that next generation Product, both for apparel but also industrial textiles, shows that this awesome ingenuity that exists in our industry, that an industry that sometimes doesn't get recognized by key decision makers is is having the vitality that it does. And we are the third largest exporter in the world. That's a testament that the industry continues to innovate, evolve, and be globally competitive. And we need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to hold other countries accountable for predatory trade practices and help bolster the domestic industrial base it's music to my ears, Bob, when I hear onshoring, and when I also hear nearshoring, because nearshoring is a major destination for U.S. textiles. Thank God we're having this conversation; it's long overdue. We need to be talking about it more, and we need to be elevating policies to to escalate those onshoring and nearshoring trends.
1: You know, Kim, as a as a kind of a follow up is is uh, comes part and parcel, I like, think, like with the success of the industry. It's diversifying its workforce, isn't that right? Uh, yeah and could you talk to that i mean in terms of some of the initiatives that some of the companies and ceos have made
2: so we've seen and we're not alone in this in manufacturing and the service sector economy as covid hit many of our the aging workforce decided to retire and, you know, it is it is difficult to get younger people to say, you know, I want to go into the manufacturing sector. People are going off for four-year college degrees, aspire to other kinds of employment. And so we have a shrinking workforce in, in terms of a pool where you're seeing where restaurants are short on staff and manufacturers are short on the number of people that they need, that this has created sort of a -a once-in-a-generation kind of deficit that has impacted our economy and our ability to capture a continued market share post-COVID. So what we're finding within our industry is our industry leaders are assessing uh, those changes in the workforce and adapting. Uh, Flexible work hours, you know, different way of looking at shift work, rotating work to make it more interesting, making sure employees are involved in the decision making process and owning, you know, sort of the ingenuity. So there's a lot happening in our industry to try to attract that workforce. But please know, the other manufacturer down the street is doing the same exact thing. So how do we make sure that in a globally competitive, hyper-globally competitive marketplace, that we're doing everything we can to continue attracting that diversified workforce, including women and people of color, but generally in our manufacturing sector, that's going to be the critical issue that we'll have to continue working on over the next decade.
0: And Kim, tell us a little about your experience with women in textiles and what role women play. You've participated in many summits, women in textile summits, and was really struck by um, something that U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Tai said after she participated in a, in a summit with women in textiles. And she said the future of women, a future of textiles is women. And and if you could speak to that a little and tell us, you know, what you see in terms of the future and and what you already see happening with women in, in very, you know, high profile roles in the industry. You know, women play an instrumental
2: role in our industry because they comprise such a significant part of the industry. So they are in the boardroom, they are in top level executive leadership positions and, they're, and you'll talk to some of the women leaders in our industry and they'll say that they started off, you know, working on the factory floor and worked their way up through this industry and have seen a great change over the decades of the opportunities that have been open and presented to women and that they feel a great sense of responsibility that they want to pave the way for other women to join this industry mm-hmm. and be part of the manufacturing sector because we have a great story to tell. So, you know, Ambassador Tai made a point to, uh, she visited Milliken Textiles and met with women leaders from across our industry. So women leaders who are running Milliken's plants, but also other industry members from other companies she made a point wanting to hear their story. And she talked and reflected about her own personal experience being a woman cabinet member in the Biden administration and the first Asian American who was heading up the U.S. Trade Representative's office and um, reflected on her own personal journey about getting there and wanting to hear the stories of women across our industry. So that sort of inspired me to Try to continue this conversation with women leaders in our industry at different segments of their career. So people who are uh, at Gaston College thinking about going into textiles, NC State to women leaders across our industry. So we've been hosting a dialogue about once a year with women leaders in our industry to really get a reflection, not just on policy issues, but things that would help cultivate that next generation of leadership coming into our companies and to share that information across our industry as sort of tips as they're thinking about their own
0: workforce plans and their own futures. And I'm sure it's a great networking opportunity for women um, to also share their stories. But I'd love to hear more about your personal journey. You know, you have such an impressive resume in Washington, spending 15 years as a federal employee, first on Capitol Hill and then in the administration and before ultimately becoming the leader and, and first woman leader of a textile association. So I'm sure there's so much to really unpack there, but we'd love to hear more about your personal journey.
2: Well, first, I, I grew up in a small town outside of Buffalo, New York, and you know my family was involved in the manufacturing sector in a very hyper-globally competitive marketplace. So everyone in my town worked at Harrison Radiators uh, to make radiators for GM cars. Uh, everyone on my block, uh, that's where they worked. That's where their mothers and their fathers were doing shift work. And when offshoring was happening to the auto uh, supply sector and people were moving out in New York State, It was around the same time as you saw Bethlehem Steel and some of the most iconic companies closing up their operations. So it was a cascading impact across a bunch of not just suppliers, but the steel industry that had a devastating impact for the community and a real impact on my life. So I think about my grandfather as the top vice president of the company and the weight that he carried when Harrison Radiators was going through these economic challenges. And one day he used to call my my Aunt Mary every single day at college, just to make sure she was waking up and getting up to class the night before. But one day he he, he didn't make that call. So um, when I look at that factory, when I go home and I see that plant, that where he died, I think to myself, that just simply can't be. We have got to fight for manufacturing industries because they it means so much to communities. It means so much to family members. And we need to make sure that that's not the future, that that's something that happened in the past and we need to grow together. So it's not just about one company having a great year, but as an industry, how do we progress together? So having this background coming from this kind of community where every child now receives a free school breakfast and a school lunch because the poverty in our community is profound. You cannot just replicate an economic engine that just died away with a new kind of industry. And it is it is created this enormous vacuum. And so understanding where I came from, I think was the impetus that I needed to go to Washington to fight for communities like mine. So I sought out working on Capitol Hill for my member of Congress because he understood this community and I wanted to work for my hometown. And I just said to myself, I need to work for people who authentically care, who are champions, who are fighters like me, and who believe in this as much as I do. So I was very selective in how I approached my all the positions, that I wanted to work on something I truly believed in. So it's been a gift to be here in Washington and to bring that background and that perspective and my own familial experiences to the job that I have now. So while I didn't grow up in a textile community, their hometown is my hometown. I understand. And so it's an enormous honor for me to be their voice in Washington and to carry their agenda, because I know how much it really means.
0: You know, you are a true champion. I've seen this over the four years we've worked together, certainly. Um, Do you think that women are making a difference in Washington? Uh, Do you think that women have the voice they need? Or or should we see, you know, more uh, of the entire kind of federal government evolve to include more diversity?
2: You know, I think that's rapidly changing over time. And when I started on the Hill, uh, there weren't many women chiefs of staff or legislative directors uh, there were there was a gulf in pay equity. So if you were a legislative director as a woman and you had the same experience as a man, you know, you, there may be a fifteen dollars to $20,000 pay differential. And that may, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of work done by House and Senate leadership to ensure uh, more pay equity and seeing more and more women in chief of staff roles and in fact elected to Congress from both sides of the aisle. So you're seeing across the administration, you know, more women being in leadership roles in cabinet positions, the vice president of the United States, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a woman president soon. I also think that my advice to women, and maybe it's from my own experience, I don't I was not hired in this job because I was the best woman candidate. You have to be the best candidate. So, and and that's my view on that. So work hard, put in the time, be aggressive, ask the tough question, you know, do those sorts of things because this is, this is a totally different age and an era where people welcome your voice in the conversation and to move the needle and, and don't be, don't hold yourself back from what you think is possible.
1: Cam, amazing story about your personal experience. I mean, that's uh, really quite extraordinary. It helps to uh, inform everyone. I think in terms of your passion about domestic manufacturing, for sure. One question I do want to ask is as you look back on your, your career in D.C., what are some of the greatest accomplishments or challenges that that you've seen?
2: I would say that some of the, the greatest challenges is that DC, for issues that you work, you're working on something, but it's so methodically slow here and the bureaucracy is so long that even no-brainer issues that should be resolved in about five days, you know, take sometimes five years to get over the finish line. And you can put in every bit of concerted effort, but some roadblock is sort of standing in the way. I think that understanding that being in D.C. progress is slow and the way that our democracy is structured is intended to be a slow and more deliberative process, that that can be really frustrating, especially in an age where we get every 2 seconds a new update on twitter on a new issue and you know there's a breaking news constantly that washington's uh, slow to react i i look back at my career at different different things i've worked on and bills that have gotten over the finish line or a moments where i may have not worked on an issue but i i stood in the house gallery watching a vote eke out where you get emotional because you believe in the issue, get over the finish line, and those are the moments you, that you cherish. But I think, from from the standpoint of one of the greatest highlights of my entire career was when COVID hit, and you know, panic set in just from a personal standpoint, but also just just across the economy. I mean, it's just what what's happening here, and and also a, a significant health scare. You know, what what if I got COVID, would I end up in the hospital? All these things were happening at the same time and so honored that the White House reached out and said, you know, kind of what could your industry do to help? And I was grateful to receive that phone call and I was grateful to make a few phone calls that saw this passion and ingenuity and everything that we sort of fight for that why we have a manufacturing sector here come together in very unique ways in ways that have never happened before to help this country out at the time when we needed it the most. So the fact that I was able to watch the industry, you know, and I still meet industry members who come up to me at events and worked on something that I helped orchestrate, you know behind the scenes just just makes my heart so proud because you wonder, what would the industry look like had that not all happened? So it was a grace of God that there is an industry here that helped the country and the health care that we had, but also the timing of, of when that call came in couldn't have been better. And so that was probably, if I were to look back at my career so far, one of the most monumental moments in my life, because it really wasn't about me it was about everybody else. And that inspires me every single day. That's something I hold with me. And I think it's a great motivator to work as hard as I can on behalf of an industry that I love so much.
0: Well, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've inspired me and other women. So what is the best way for the listeners to reach you should they um, have further questions?
2: They're welcome to reach out to me at NCTO at kglass at ncto.org. So I look forward to hearing from folks and uh, always happy to hear from the industry.
0: Great. And and I'd like to thank our listeners again. And and of course, our our co-host Bob Antishak for joining us and hope you've all enjoyed our program. Um, should you have any questions about the American textile industry, statistics or everything from employment to exports, uh, NCTO is a great resource. And please feel free to check out ncto.org or email me at kellis at ncto.org. Thanks again and see you next time.